Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome to the resource room. I have three guests here with me today. I have Jenny, Amy, and Jennifer here to share a little bit about how they use my reading interventions in their resource rooms. So we're going to start first with some introductions so that listeners can hear your voice and hear a little bit about you. So Jenny, will you start off first for us? Yes. Hi, I am Jenny Gibson. So my students call me Mrs. Gibson. I have been a special education teacher in Indiana for 16 years, which just seems like a big number to say, but um, 11 of those years, I worked as a resource room teacher for students in kindergarten through fifth grade. Um, I then transferred to a larger school within our corporation as what was called a special ed support coordinator. Um, So I was able to help be like public agency rep for case conferences, support our um, special education teachers that are in the resource room setting. We had two full day programs. Um, There were a lot of students with speech and just a lot of behaviors to support as well. So helped with a lot of support there. Um, When COVID happened, we kind of eliminated some of those extra positions. So after three years of being that coordinator, I moved into a second grade only resource room position. And so three years kind of being out of resource, I was doing a lot of research on, okay, how do I do the resource gig here again? And that's where I came across everything, the primary gal and... It changed my life. <laughs> oh, good. You know, when I started this, I wanted to change my life, like for me. And then I get that a lot where people are like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I taught before this, or I don't know what I would have done. So oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that because that's the point of it all is to get our lives back. Yeah. Part of those 11 years at Red Key, eight of those, I did read 180, which is a fourth and fifth grade, typically like reading intervention. And it was very structured. Um, And so that helped with just kind of how I formatted my schedule in the resource room. So then being away from that and that program was eliminated, I, I just thought there has to be something similar that's structured, that's ready to go, that can specifically meet the needs of second graders. So I feel like I was fortunate being able to just be teacher of record of students in second grade, because you still have a variety of skills you're working with. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the difference between planning K-5 to planning for second grade just was able to make me be able to take your interventions and be able to figure out, okay, how do I fine tune this for this specific grade level? Oh, good. I love to hear that. Amy, what about you? Could you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you teach. Sure. Um, My name is Amy Syok and I'm going into my 26th year of teaching. Um, The majority of that has been special ed. I started out in a maximum secure prison for adjudicated boys my first two years. And I taught um, reading and language. My special ed cert covered that since I was K to 12. Um, So I did that. And then I went to my second district and I was there for 20 years. Um, The majority of that time I was special ed, but I did do eight years in kindergarten, regular ed. And then I actually was one of those people that went back into special ed um, because I missed it so much. So um, I've done emotional support, life skill support, learning support um, at that district. And then my forever district where I'm at now, um, I've been K-2 learning support for the past three years. Um, And kind of like Jenny had said also, the finding you has helped a lot with just not even just my the reading that I use now but I have your progress monitoring and I have you know some of your math um it's made a big difference and I think one of the keys to that is because it was written by someone who's done it lived it and been it I think so often we get curriculums that are written by people that are maybe out of the education realm for too long or not done it specifically for what our interest is and yours just really hit the nail on the head when I started using it last year for reading specifically Oh, good. I love to hear that too, because I do feel like sometimes 
other programs are so out of touch. For example, one of the trainings that I went to was like 45 minutes just for decoding. And I'm like, that's great. If I had 45 minutes just for decoding, that's wonderful. My kids would make progress. But what about all the other things that they need help with too? That's not realistic. That's not practical. So it's like, how can we take all of those things and put it into one 30 minute group? Because that's more realistic. I'd love to have 45 minutes. And I feel like I hit more of those skills because it's concentrated that I might have not been getting to every day with like the different grammar pieces or the fluency check. And because it's all embedded in there at that time and it's, you know, we just hit it right quick. Like you said, in that 30 minute block, it really has worked out nicely. Well, good. I'm so glad to hear that. Okay. So now let's dive in now that we've introduced ourselves. Let's dive into some questions about then how you actually use the series. And I told you ladies, before we got started with actually recording, I always am willing to share what I do. And I I think it's helpful. It shows teachers what they can do, but my way is not the only way. And that's the reason I wanted to um, do this podcast episode was so that we could really see how do different teachers use the same materials. And so we'll start with Jenny again. Jenny, how do you start assessing and then grouping your students for the the reading intervention? That has been the piece that each year I really kind of have to see, um, especially again, kind of coming off of COVID and those sort of things. Like, what are, are we allowed to do? Do we have to keep students in their same sort of homeroom cohorts? Or am I allowed to mix and match a pull at different times? Um, And then also, it seems like each year there's small changes to our just master schedule. Um, And so just trying to figure out kind of those common pullout times where students aren't going to miss direct instruction is my my first starting point. Um, But I do have your um, progress monitoring series. And so that partners so well with the reading series. So I like to take the assessments for the CVC words, the CCVC words, and so forth and so on, and just do a beginning of the year check with my students. Um, So typically with having second graders only, like these are students I'm working with just for one year. Um, If it were an example of like a K-5 scenario, then I would keep my data year to year and just kind of really check to see still at the beginning of the year where are students falling Um, And so I like to check them on just kind of those word patterns, because then that can help me align with the reading series. Okay, where would be a good starting point? Um, And even with second graders, the past couple years, starting with kind of the red series of the reading intervention with CVC words seems to be where we typically need to start with most of my readers. Um, Also then do like the math assessments and things like that. But most of the needs, it seems like that I've been able to focus on the last couple years, come back to the reading and the language arts piece. Um, So I like for students to do just like um, even like a fluency check to start out the year to see like how many words per minute are we at. Um, And so typically I can pull something from the reading series, one of those, you know, Wednesday or Thursday fluency checks, or sometimes the end of the week fluency checks are nice to Mm -hmm. just have a copy of and and have students do a cold reading there. And then that way, as we kind of go through each week, I can continue to assess that weekly. That's perfect. This last year, were you allowed to mix groups from various classrooms or were you still tied to those COVID restrictions? Um, It seems like it matched up more scheduling wise where it was... um, for scheduling purposes, it was still kind of pulling students from their homeroom classes. So there were typically a couple of classes where I could mix, but fortunately I have a wonderful instructional assistant. And so um, my morning group from like eight to eight forty ranged from anywhere. I started the year with maybe three or four students that I was providing services for to it ended up closer to eight to nine students. Um, So sometimes we would start in one big small group and then we would be able to break into two smaller groups within that small group setting. So I would be able to mix students based off of reading skills that way. So I typically would keep the students for the reading part of the, the reading series. So we would do our sight words and decode 
code and we would read three times in just different fun ways. While then the other group would be working with my instructional assistant on typically like the page or yeah, like the page two activities. So working on um, the language arts skills, correcting the sentences. Um, there would be times where if it was a day for a fluency check, then like I might get my group going on a buddy read and then be able to pull students individually and have them do their fluency check with me. So just kind of depended on the week and what skills we were doing. If it was a new language arts skill, like if we were working on adjectives for the first time, then I may hit that more directly with the the small group completely. And then once we were able to do those with a little bit more independence, that's where I would break it into two with my instructional assistant. That's absolutely wonderful. And I love that you were using your instructional assistant. And so if you don't mind, I'm going to veer off of the list of questions that I sent to you ahead of time and ask, how did your instructional coach handle that? And how do you feel like she did using the reading intervention? So she, she and I have worked together my entire 16 years of teaching. I've been fortunate that she was able to, when I moved buildings, she was able to move right along with me. Um, and so when I first started out in the resource room, she was already there. So she was my, you know, everything resource room champion. I was able to go to her and ask questions and just see what is she comfortable with? Like what are there, if there were new ideas I was learning in those first few years of teaching, then I would share those with her and say, Hey, like I have, I've learned this strategy. Do you think we could try this? And she was above and beyond willing to to do those sort of things. So same thing then with the reading series, as I was kind of figuring this out first time through, you know, we started real small with what are we going to do? And then we would add to it. Um, and so a lot of that was me modeling it in the beginning, because at the beginning of the year, we do start out with smaller groups. Um, second grade's a big year for evaluations. And so we would add students to our caseload or other people would catch wind of what we were doing and say, hey, I have this student and they need some intervention. So it's like, well, we're already doing some of these things. Let's have them join in. Um, so our groups would just continue to grow. We even had students this past year that had um, like the English as a second language service and just needed some extra support in reading. So that we would have students join in um, that way. If I, and so our groups continued to grow and grow. And so just in the beginning of the year, I do a lot of the modeling. And so she would help with um, just supporting students to stay on task. And as we're highlighting words, I might be modeling it up on a big screen. Um, and she would then be kind of checking the crowd to make sure everybody's keeping up. Um, so she would see how a lot of the teaching would go. So a lot of it we would start out doing just together in those small groups, um, kind of partner teaching in a way. And then by, you know, October, November, once we're good with the routines and the procedures, then it's that idea of, okay, like our groups are large enough. We know enough about our students now that, you know, we feel like these three students might work well together on Mondays based off of the skill we're working on. And then she would take those three and we would switch. So we don't get a lot of build-in collaboration time. So typically, like, I leave plans for the week. Um, and, and those are ever-changing. So we usually would meet on Monday mornings before school would start and just talk about the plan. And if she had questions, of course, I would answer those. Um, but a lot of modeling to start. That's perfect. Wonderful job there. Amy, what about you? How do you assess and then how do you group your students? I do use um, your progress monitoring as well. So I do some of that and some assessments just at the beginning of the year. I have multiple grades. So since I have K to two, mine looks a little differently. Um, and my first and second graders, a lot of them crossed over times and they'd both be in the room at the same time. So I actually did have my groups by um, ability in, in different where they scored in different things. Like I had a couple first graders working with second graders on certain ones, like you know, some that were in red, some that were a little higher. And that seemed to work for me. Last year, like I said, was my first year using it. And fortunately, my administrator, my principal is also our special ed director. So she really also um, understands and was very willing to let me use this instead of the curriculum that was already, you know, in place. And so I talked to her a little bit about it first, but then I was also, I don't have um, any paras except for directly with a student, um, but I was fortunate to have a student teacher and she was amazing. So it was very easy to use her and to do other groups. She was able to actually, after the first or second week there, um, she started taking some of the groups too. 
which alleviated some of that for me. Um, and But that is how I grouped mine. The only kind of roadblock I ran into was I had a student teacher for both parts of the first semester. Um, and fortunately or unfortunately with the numbers growing with, I don't, we don't know if it's the COVID or what it's been, but my numbers increased dramatically in K to two this past year. Um, by the end, my caseload was 37. So that was what got tricky with the reading groups for me personally that I ran into, um, was being able to do it by myself and get all those groups in that were needed because at one point then I had five different groups going and, you know, when those kids were in there, so that was a little tricky. So I had to kind of adjust things a little bit towards the second half of the year. So I may not have been doing it with fidelity or as, you know, as I wanted to do it, but in order to get me to see those, that time with the individual groups too, I had to give them some of the stuff to do independently or a skill that went along with it as a center. I didn't get as much, um, time with the groups, but I still was able to at least meet with them and see them and do the reading part with them. And then sometimes it was a matter of going over page two, starting it, and then letting them go work with a buddy while I had the next group over because I really wanted to hear that reading and the fluency and check for the comprehension piece. So that's where mine led to by the second semester. But the first semester, I was able to really hone in and, and with having the, the student teachers have more of that the individual group. I just wasn't able to keep what I saw was ideal by the second half without, you know, the support with my numbers growing. So. And to me, I think that that's real life. You know, we are going to start with low, lower numbers. And as the year progresses, it's going to get higher. And I agree with you. We saw an increase in evaluations too, whether it is because of COVID or whatever that might be, that's just part of life. And so I like that you adapted, you changed, you found ways to either complement it or turn them loose on things that they can do on their own. Um, My kids later in the year, like let's say I had a phone call or whatever, my kids would find their high frequency words and their decodable words on their own. Or as we were testing and things got a little hectic, I might combine two groups together. And so I would have like one group sit on one side of the table one group sit on the other and they would work together to find their high frequency words or their decodable words. So once they're well-trained, you can work with what you've got, you know, because it is real life and those things are going to happen. Right. And as some of those kids, the new ones come in, fortunately, most of the groups had at least one or two kids had already been doing it. So like you said, they kind of like to take that leadership role and say, no, this is what we do now. And here's where we go to this part. So you know, the kids make it easy too that way because it always seemed like someone was able to help or like be a student leader in that group to kind of keep those kids on track. Exactly. And sometimes I talk about how having routines will save you time. And I'm talking usually on the day to day, you know, you're not giving directions every day, but that's another way that it saves you time because then your kids can help train newer students and things like that. So it really just is helpful in many areas. So that's wonderful. So with the reading series, we have, you know, booklets that we use to, you know, run our groups that pretty much has nearly everything that you're going to need for your group. As far as copies or, you know, printed materials, I'd love to hear how do you guys organize the printed booklets as well as then maybe like the markers, the highlighters, the pencils, that kind of thing. So Jenny, let's go ahead and start with you. If you could share, what do you do with all those materials? Okay, the materials that go along with the series, like I just love and the students love. Um, But it really is a progression of like how we use the materials. Because if I just had everything out there all at once from the start, our packets would be a complete mess. Um, so a lot of times at the beginning of the week, I have their packets in a stack ready to go. And then I hand those out. I usually give two to three minutes and I'll put on some music, um, so that the students can color the front of their packet and make sure that their names are on it. At the beginning of the year, we use the highlighters and pens and smelly markers, but it's all my choice on what we're using. So like I'll have the supplies already out and ready and I might have pink and yellow highlighters for everyone and everyone might have a blue pen that they're using. 
And so that way there's not the, the arguing of, well, this person has this supply and I have this. Well, right now I'm just looking to see, can we handle the highlighters? Can we mark our pages nicely so that that way Tuesday's materials, not the papers, all, not all bled through and, and it'll still be able to be used. So it's a lot of practice in the beginning of how do we use highlighters? How do we use pens? Um, even with the smelly markers, I, I usually will allow students to pick a smelly marker at the end of each reading. Um, and then we use the smelly markers on the three smiley faces. So even at the beginning of the year, I'm picking the smelly markers and I'm saying, oh, we have this cool smelly marker. This one smells like cherries. Let me see your papers. And then I mark their packets after we do that first reading. And then I get them used to smelling the paper because a lot of times when smelly markers come out for the first time, they're going right up to noses. <laughs> and so um, I try and use the prompt of mark your paper, smell your paper. And just remind students that, like, I don't want to see you smelling your markers. You need to mark the paper, smell the paper. Um, so we're starting real small at the beginning of the year. So it's the idea that there's not a lot of choice. I have the materials ready. And, and just the fact that we're not using pencils is pretty exciting in the beginning of the year anyway. So then when I show them that I also have blue highlighters and I have green highlighters, purple, then it just it adds some new excitement each week. Um, that was one of the pieces that I was a little worried about with the the series was, okay, like if we do this every week, then is that something that's going to kind of lose its, lose its appeal? Um, but just being able to kind of add in some different little tricks through pens or materials has really kind of helped keep it fresh all year long. Um, so eventually by, you know, like October, then students are able to then make their choices. So typically, like I'll put the highlighters in one section of, you know, kind of those little caddies that you can buy that have the different sections in them. Usually has a handle on it, so it's easy to take from small group to small group. Um, so all the highlighters would be together. Um, I like to use the Inkjoy pens. I know they have the clickers on them, and, and sometimes that's something that can uh, be a distraction. But again, we kind of teach that from the beginning. I let students use one Inkjoy pen and, and talk to them about excessive clicking and how that could be a distraction. And if we're going to do that, you might have to swap your pen for not something um, so bright and fun. So we do a lot of practice with that. Um, and then even the smelly markers, I keep in a, in a caddy of their own so that eventually once students understand that I mark my paper, smell my paper, and that there's a lot to choose from, then they can start to pick their own supplies. So I like to start small um, and then eventually be able to go big with it. It's the idea that we know how to use our highlighters and our pens. Um, students will keep their packets in a mailbox. So after they get those on Monday and they've colored them, their names are on them, we use them. Then when it's time to pack up at the end of our group session, they'll put their packet in their mailbox so it'll be ready to go for the next day. So when they come in on Tuesday, they'll go to their mailbox, get their packet out. Um, if, it, if we're at the point where they can choose their own supplies, then I have the little caddies that are sitting out and I just remind them, you can pick two highlighters, one pen, um, and then they're getting seated. So all that process is happening within, you know, the first 60 seconds of, of coming in for their small group. They're getting their packets out of their mailbox, picking two pens, one or two highlighters, one pen. Um, and then we sit and we get started. So there's times where we'll have our groups at a small group table, but then I do like to display the packet for all to see if possible. So I use like those plastic sleeves that you can put, like I put my own copy in there. So that way I can mark with dry erase marker as my highlighter, um, and then erase in between the groups. So I'm not, you know, using a lot of paper packets myself and having to, to recreate mine can be used this one packet all day long. Um, so there's often times that like students may need to sit on the floor. So I have um, what are called comfy seats. I was able to get those through a donors choose project where students can come, you know, in a comfortable way, sit on the floor and use clipboards with their packets um, and they have their supplies beside them. So um, the smelly markers, again, I like to start small with those and maybe start with just one pack of the, the tall skinny ones that have just kind of basic sense to them. And then, you know, to continue to make it new and exciting, I might show them a new packet and ones that then eventually have stinky markers and just different things like that that can start to be incorporated later on throughout the year. That right there is exactly why I wanted other people on the podcast besides just me. You have genius ways of managing all those materials. I absolutely love um, the caddies and where they're choosing them. I like that you allow them to use their mail or, you know, have a mailbox where they put things. 
for me, I put mine in folders. So then I'm doing a lot of the passing out. If I get stopped in the hallway or if I'm talking to a student, maybe about something in the hallway before we get started, they're dependent on me and they're sitting there. But with you, they can grab them in their mailbox, have a seat, and they're ready to work when you walk in the, the door. So that is absolutely wonderful. I love it. Okay, Amy, what about you? How do you manage the copies, the materials, the pens, the markers, that kind of thing? How do you manage it all? Well, I started out um, going through and printing off the majority of what I would need for the different levels and the different color codes. And every once in a while, I like to pretend like I'm a type A teacher. So when I did that, I put them all in color folders. I have a hanging foul folder and I have all the red and red folders, all the yellow and yellow. And, and, um, and then I keep all the assessments and the answer keys in the back of each section. I don't keep it with the story. I keep all of those together. That way, when I'm copying for the week, I grab my stories. And then when I do the test to do the assessments, I can just grab the folder of that one because I have sometimes kids in three different levels of red. So I just have to grab all the assessments. Um, but then the rest of the year, you know, I start out really strong, but then I go to Hot Mess Express. So I do <laughs> let them, like Jenny does, I let them keep their packets because that is easier for me maintenance-wise, um, especially when I had my numbers started to grow. They started out having all little individual, like the little magazine boxes. That's where they keep their pencil pouches and their, you know, papers that we do. Um, I ended up switching over to a cubby system because I didn't have enough space for all of the magazine boxes as the year went on. So then they put them in their cubbies or mailboxes. Um, and that works for me. Same thing. Like Jenny said, I can say, okay, go get them. And that just alleviates a couple minutes extra for me, especially when time was crucial. Um, and it gives that piece of ownership too. Like they know to go get their books. They know where they're at. Um, and since I have a lot of flexible seating, I don't have many desks. So I need somewhere where they can put their supplies. Um, I also kept all of the supplies that they needed in similar to those like I don't know what I'll say, like the Target ones when they have at the beginning of the year, those little boxes and stuff are nice. Um, and I'd keep the supplies there because, again, same thing. I didn't want the kids coming over with their own pencil pouches, going through the pencils, them dropping on the floor. Like it was just easier for me to keep them all at the table. And this year we were allowed to have shared supplies. Last year that wouldn't have worked because of the COVID protocol, but we were allowed to have shared supplies this year. Um, so I was able to do that. I do like how Jenny said how she introduces some of them as they come. I actually wrote that down in my notes as she was talking because that is a really nice idea to give them more excitement of which smelly markers we're going to use. I go through how we use them, but I like the introduction of new things. Like sometimes I'll get out toppers for the holiday seasons and stuff like that to make it fun or like our pointers. I get those little like monster fingers and stuff, but I do like how with the smelly markers and things like that too, to give them that choice. And I also wrote down, I like the, smell the paper, not the marker, because <laughs> that happens to get lots of dots on our noses during reading. So I, I liked that as well. But um, and that's why I think it's so nice to share with these things, because like you said, we get so many good ideas from each other. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so that's mainly how I, I do my um, organization of it. The kids keep the pack, the packet, the, the actual reading packet. I keep all the materials and supplies at my rainbow table. They do come to the rainbow table for me um, for that. Any other time they are allowed to do, like, you know, sit on the floor, the big Joe chairs, whatever. But I do like to do the specific the reading piece at the rainbow table because not only is that good for them and we have that focus, my other kids have learned as, the, you know, throughout the years for as time goes on, unless it's like more of an emergency. And I just did air quotes like you could see that. But if it was an emergency, <laughs> um, you, they can come to me at the table, but otherwise they have to like problem solve and, you know, try a couple things first, because I really do like to hone in on that time and just be with those kiddos doing the reading. So that's the only time that we actually are at the rainbow tables when I'm doing reading. I love that. And especially whenever you're balancing so many groups and so many age levels, it kind of just sets the tone or a rule of when can you ask the teacher and when should you problem solve on your own? All right, so now let's talk a little bit about progress monitoring. Um, I actually just sent my email list a few days ago. I sent them an email with just some ideas of like trainings that I was going to do this summer or really ideas I had, but you know, there just aren't enough hours in a day. Summer gets, gets by us so quickly. So it's like pick your favorite so that I know where to start. And progress monitoring was hands down like by a landslide more than any other topic that I had on there. 
because I think it stresses us out. It's something that can be so daunting and overwhelming. And so I would just love to hear maybe how the reading intervention or the reading series has helped you maybe make progress monitoring easier. Well, it's actually funny that you asked that because last year I really had to embrace learning to work smarter, not harder, because as my numbers did grow, it was more difficult and it was a little hard for me to not give that up because I know progress monitoring is daunting, but it was also a time I looked forward to to do that one-on-one with the kiddo. Um, I agree. So I really, I really did start to use the reading program and the spelling because I, I have some of my kids did spelling in general ed. Some of them did it with me. Some of those that did it with me, I used your spelling program because any, or I'm sorry, anyone that did it with me, I used your spelling program. So um, that made it, like you said, the CVC words, the blending, the different decoding skills. I was like, wait a minute, I can just have my checklist here while we're doing reading mm-hmm. and get it. So it. It was, it was hard to, switched gears a little bit, especially like you said, you know, going into year 26, there was a way that I did progress monitoring and liked it. And like I said, I liked that time to see that individual growth, but I was just seeing it the same way through a different lens, you know? So I really just had to change my perception of how I wanted to do things and realize, okay, I can't do it. Like I have to accept that I'm not gonna be able to do it this way, but man, is this making it easier on me? And so, you know, I really do like that. And then I actually found we, in our district, we write all of our IEPs for the next school year. We, we do them all in May. So sometimes that's a little extra for me too, because I'm getting the new kids in. So sometimes they get two, but I found myself looking at their goals for next year, especially like my K and ones that I'll have again this year and writing the goals to kind of mirror up to make it smoother with the reading time. So yeah. it actually really did make some ahas there through the end of that, you know, um, because May was a grueling time writing 38 IEPs. But it really did make sense to start using the reading as the progress monitoring piece, especially for that. And most of my kids with me are just with me for ELA. I don't have very many for math. So it really was the focal point. And like I said, it really made a difference, even though at first I wasn't willing to embrace that. But once I did, it was like a no brainer. Like, this is how I'm going to do things from now on. So. I think I kind of have that same mental hurdle. I feel like progress monitoring and I have been on this roller coaster of like ups and downs of I love it or I hate it. And it's that piece. I love getting to sit with my kids and see what mistakes are they making? What, you know, is it that they are making B and D reversals? Is it that they don't understand their vowels? Are they saying all of the letter sounds, but then it's more the blending piece. I love that part of my job. But that's the time-consuming thing that then adds that stress and like anxiety of, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get all this done. So it's like this constant up and down. But I think like you, I had to have a little bit of a mind, mindset shift or like a come to Jesus talk with myself of like, you are making it harder. <laughs> Knock it off. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm glad I'm not alone in that, but I'm also glad that it has helped you in that way. So that's wonderful. Okay, Jenny, what about you? I was able to really kind of hear everything Amy was saying there and just her aha moments. You've made it so easy for us with this reading series to just, anytime I want to keep a packet for the week and put it in my student's file, I instantly have so many examples that I can then take to a case conference. So like I typically like to keep their week one um, from the beginning of the year And then just every three to four weeks, instead of sending the packet home, I like to keep that as another work sample. So we've got typically those two fluency checks. We've got the end of the week sort of uh, fluency piece as well. Just that the Friday wrap up, you can have information that shows comprehension and the, the grammar skill and vocabulary, just all these pieces that instead of having to go back and assess that again, it's already built into the series. Um, I, I know for myself at the beginning of the year, like with numbers being a little bit lower, like I would make binders for each student and keep in there the progress monitoring piece. I would then add work samples, maybe the IEP. And then it wasn't until last year that just, you know, I'm, I'm the type where sometimes those stacks will, will pile up on my desk. And instead of taking the, taking the binder down and hole punching and putting things away, there's just 
reality, not time for that. So I use basically just like a milk crate with hanging files. Um, I started that back in December. And then that way, like if it's a week where I want to keep this student's reading packet for an example to show parents later on, then I'm just going to drop that down in that student's file. And that has been so helpful. So then when we go to a case conference, I'm able to pull out week one comparative to week 20 and just be able to show the OT. Here's how handwriting and coloring was at the beginning of the year. And here's a sample I have from last week. And so that has been eye-opening for just all of us to be able to go back and look at some actual student writing and samples and, and just all of those pieces that are built in through that weekly program. I like your idea of the hanging files. I used to do that when I taught fifth grade. I need to bring it back in special education. Yeah, I mean, really, like, I, I am the type where I know where my stuff is, but it's not always the prettiest. And so, you know, one of my goals was to try and be a little bit more organized. So I thought binders would work, and that'll be nice. And I've got my student summary on the outside. But then, you know, in the reality of world, when you have groups coming and going all day long, and then you get to the end of the day, it's like, ugh, I need to just be able to take what I have and drop it someplace. So the milk crate doesn't always look the prettiest, um, but it's the most functional thing that I've found by far. But who knows, next year I might find something else. I feel like that's the piece that, you know, is kind of exciting as being a resource room teacher is that you continue to find all of these ideas and and someday, you know, it just depends on your students each year too, depending on, on what you need. But going into the start of this next school year, I'm starting with the milk crate. Yeah, I think I might steal that. And I think you just have to be like just practical. Yeah, the binders are really great. They look good, whatever. But if you have a stack of things that need to go in the binder, then it's useless. Right. Amanda, can I just jump in a second? Yeah, sure. Go for it. I just thought of this and I want to say it while I'm thinking about it. You know, it was a mind, just especially for listeners that are listening to your podcast and wondering about the program, you know, it just was another like, aha, sitting here while I was listening. A, a big part of that mindset change wouldn't have been able to happen if I wasn't using your reading program because so much of it is there for progress monitoring. You know, had I been doing my old way yeah, and my yeah. old, you know, pulling some of the gen ed curriculum and using the intervention piece or using this, I, I was always like kind of you know, and we've all done it. Like I, I pull from teacher, pay teacher. I pull from here. I supplement. Right. But I think, it, you know, just as I was listening to everything, I think that's a big part of the mindset was able to change because I was like, wait a minute, it's all right here. Where before I would have had to pull from this piece and, and did we do this in the, vo in the vocab booklet? And did we, you know, where this made it cohesive? And mm. I think just if anyone's listening to that, and, you know, and is interested in more of the actual reading program, that's a big component of it. Um, cohesive is like the key word for yours because everything was right there. We could pull from things. We could see those things. Like, you know, Jennifer and Jenny both said, we, we were able to use this piece for CVC or we're able to use this piece for the fluency piece. It just made it convenient. I'm not just saying that, you know, to toot your horn or whatever, but in essence, it, it has made a big difference. And I guess I didn't realize that until we were all sitting here chatting that that was the main reason that I was able to use it and give up some of the progress monitoring because it wasn't as difficult pulling from five different workbooks, pulling from here, where, let me go see what was in their mailbox. It just was right there in front of me to do with a checklist Aww. in hand. So that's a nice piece. To, so I just wanted to add that in there too, before we moved on. Yeah, I think that's perfect. And I don't know about you or you guys as a whole, but I used to, you know, I might find something on TPT that I really loved, but our kids need so much longer. So even though I loved it, it was like, okay, well that bought me three weeks. Now I've got to go hunt and find something else. And so that made the progress monitoring piece difficult because I wasn't doing the same thing all the time. I was jumping around based on what I found. So maybe that's even part of it too. It's consistency. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about wins. And I feel like that progress monitoring was a win, but I'm thinking some student wins. For example, I had a student this year who started in, uh, this last year I was only doing second and third grade, which was absolutely wonderful. And these were kids I had had for years and years since they were in kindergarten. And so I had a student who started in my lowest, lowest group. And I pulled him in two groups. One, he was a third grader, but I pulled him with my second graders because that was my lowest group. 
but I also pulled him with another group of third graders because I felt like he needed more time in the resource room, that kind of thing. And by the end of the year, he was in my second highest group of all of my groups that I pulled throughout the day. And it's like, how in the heck did this happen? And I think it's really because he had more time than others. Eventually then he was only in the highest group. He didn't need to be in those two lowest, but I think it just worked to all of his strengths. He was able to work on some of those high frequency words, see them in real life, those kinds of things, but also focus on decoding. And when it all clicked, he really took off. So I would love to hear from you guys kind of what are some of your student wins that, um, you know, have really made it like, oh, thank God I have this reading intervention. So let's start. um, Let's go back to Jenny. So many wins from this reading program and just, I mean, to highlight it all, like we could, we could have a whole nother podcast on that because it's just, I see students reading with expression Um, I see students building their background knowledge. So just the different themes for the week, uh, have such a variety to it. And we're learning new, new areas that maybe we hadn't explored before. So one week we're reading about bats and another week we're reading about the rodeo and just different things there to build students background knowledge that then later can help when they're back in the general education setting. Um, I see students increasing their words per minute. Um, typically when I've assessed students at the beginning of the year, we might be at like zero to 30% of those CVC words. And then by the time we're in December, like we're at 90 to hundred percent there and, and we're moving forward with the, with the blends and the vowel teams and different things there. Um, just even the ability to, to create a complete sentence and be able to, that we, we hit that so many days during the week with the reading series to be able to look, to see, do we, do we have a capital letter at the beginning? Do we have the correct ending punctuation? Have we checked to make sure that, you know, our, our reading patterns are showing up in our writing as well? Um, do I need an E at the end? Do I, is it something that I can decode and spell it that way? So just all of those skills just continue to have that routine to it that enough that you can really start to see that confidence in students. And I've had teachers in the general education setting as well say like this student's reading with such expression. And, um, you know, when we're in small groups, the student's volunteering to read more and just, you start to see those things sort of transfer which is what we ultimately want. You know, we see our students as all stars in that small group setting, but it can be difficult for it to, to transfer then into that larger group setting. And, and I've seen that just even, you know, through second graders using the program for a year. So um, part of it as well as if, you know, if we're not seeing the progress at the rate that we want to, you have so many other different series that we can use. You know, Amy was mentioning the spelling intervention, and that's something that I found a need for students this year to use. And so um, started using that spelling intervention. And and when you hear spelling intervention, a lot of times you think of just spelling the words, but it hits that auditory processing and just, you know, being able to rhyme and identify patterns that just then takes the reading series and expands it so much more. Um so I just, all of this has connected together so beautifully that just, I, I look forward to continue to, to see how can, how can I expand it further? Oh gosh, guys, you, you're melting my heart seriously, because there are times I hate this reading series, to be honest, because it's taken me years and years, but that proves all of that time is worth it. It, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I mean, without it, like you said, you might find something that works for two to three weeks, and then it's like, okay, now I've done that. Like, let's move on to something else for two to three. And it's just that's that's not way a way for anyone to live or to learn. So, just you've made it so that we have this foundation of a program to use, but you still have that ability to go back and add strategies you've learned to apply to it. Like we'll do a lot of um, different types of readings for the three readings. So like I've brought in different things that I've learned there from different trainings where we might do like an emotional read where we change our voice, or we might do like a whisper whisper or an echo read. Um, Just some different things I've learned through different trainings and then apply it to the series. So there's still, it gives you the, just kind of a, 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 framework to start with, but you can expand it as much as you need to as well. Yes, definitely. And make it your own. Okay. Amy, what about you? Um, Do you have any student wins that you would be willing to share? 
Yes, I do. Um, I think the main piece that I saw, and I've like I said, I've been doing this for a long time, was the engagement and the excitement to read. Um, if if I was doing a theme something that day, or we were switching up groups or something, and I'd start to get into something, I mean, I'd be interrupted right away and say, well, "Are we doing reading today? Are we doing the groups?" And you know, that's, just to that's see big. at a lot of time. And so many of us, we know we have those reluctant readers. They're with us for a reason, and some of them have gotten uncomfortable reading in the regular ed classroom. I had a couple of teachers tell me, you know, at the beginning of the year, our shared student, she learned like not to call on him or she'd say, you know, do you want a chance to read? And he would say, no, by the end of the year, she said that changed. And he would like have his hand up and he'd want to read in, in the, in the gen ed class and participate. Um, I think that's a huge win for our kids that that confidence is being built. Um, and I think a, a, another one, I had a kiddo who, really has come a long way this year with her reading, her comprehension. It's just all starting to click. She's in second grade going into third now. Um, and I've had her since first grade. And even the general ed teacher would like get so excited and say, you know, she's doing so well. She we she does a um AR challenge in her classroom. And she was one of the only kids, she said, you know, she's out reading my high reader. She got to the 200 book club for AR this year. Um I think some of those things are my big, like heartfelt moments of seeing that with the kids and uh, her along with another little girl, which this is huge for me, you know, in special ed, they are both next year only going to receive like check-in and connect supports and probably be included. We're going to try them in third to be included all day with reading because they've made such huge gains. So I think, you know, this is a big part of that, especially when, you know, we're coming off the pandemic for that to be happening and to see that, that those kiddos really are my ones that have just really been like, you know, wow. Like, you know, things are clicking for them. And of course, you know, their families are happy. Um, but I think that's a big part of it because like I said, that was my one little kiddo that anytime we were straying off the normal schedule, she's like, aren't we doing reading today? Am I coming to the table? <laughs> so I think they start to meet <laughs> their own success in there. And it just gave them that confidence to, to, make more risks in the general ed classroom too. So that was my big takeaway from it this year. That is a big, big win and something we want for all of our students. All right, guys. Now my last question is just about what are some things that you do that I don't? Because as I started this podcast episode with, I said, you know, I'm always willing to share my ideas, but they're not the only way. That's not the only thing that you can do. So do any of you have anything that you do differently that it's like, whoa, other people might really, really love this? I actually do do the themed holiday and activities, things like that. Like I mentioned earlier, I buy like the little monster witch fingers and they can, you know, use those Mm -hmm. to point out the words. I have Grinch pointers and different things like that. Um, Some of my kids, they use them when they're reading the room. I have like the funky sunglasses from Dollar Tree. Some of them will say, can I bring the glasses to the table? Can I read today with, you know, my reading glasses? I'm like, absolutely. You know, so I do things like that. Um, And one thing that I'm, well, I don't know if this is another question. I was going to, my other thing was what I, what I would like to do. um, And I had asked you about this actually in the book study last week, I would Uh like to try to tie in some more themes of what they're working on. So when they're independent doing those centers, there's some carryover into um, the story or the words, the different things like that. I'd like to make that part. I mean, I know it's going to take me a long time to do that because sometimes I have, like I said, four or five different reading groups going on during that day, but even start small and like make sure I even have like a read aloud book that they can go to or a center that's covering those same things. Um, I've always been like a theme person. I just, I enjoy that. Um, yes. So I, I'd like to try to tie in some of that now that I'm a little more familiar with the stories and things that we've used this year. Um, that is something I would like to carry over. But I also do like using, like, you know, others have mentioned the theme pieces of just pulling something in, like you said, making it fun. If we're covering words, sometimes I'll get out candy, I have these big candy corn erasers they like to use, like cover your sight words with the candy corn erasers, things yeah. like that. Just so it makes it you know, a little, like you said, break it up for them a little bit, make it so that it is exciting because I think it was Jenny that mentioned too, if we don't keep doing that, we don't want them to get into, we want to have a routine, but we don't want to have a boring routine. <laughs> so exactly. it's all, all about balance. Right. So I like, and sometimes it's just like those little things are all it takes for some of those kids to like buy in and want to do it. So 
I, I do do that. But like I said, that's what I currently do. And then something I'd like to do would to be add in maybe something that carries across whatever theme or whatever the story is that we're doing or some of the skills. I love that. And I agree. Whenever you mentioned that in the book study last week, whenever you were asking, you know, hey, when you say read aloud, what do you mean? I really, I guess, had never thought other than, you know, yeah, we might read aloud at random. It's a short week. We're doing something different. But I love the idea of adding that into whatever topic we're talking about in our reading book that week. Right. All right, Jenny, what about you? At the end of the lessons, I like to do some sort of exit question. So like as we're putting supplies away and students are putting their packets back in their mailbox, I tell them to, after they, you know, put their supplies away, put your packet away, go find some feet. So I have little feet at the door where they line up. And then before I dismiss them out the door, like I'll give them some sort of review sort of exit question. So like if we've been practicing adjectives, I might say like, give me an example of an adjective or what's the definition of an adjective. And then they'll give an example as they're, as they're leaving. Or it could be like tying in a comprehension question. Um, when we moved from the CBC into the, the blends at the beginning, I would have little flashcards at the door and I would have them read just the, the blend sounds before they would leave. And so just quick little ways to do kind of a quick check of a skill from that day. So it might be the same sort of question every day. I might switch it up, but just something just to keep them thinking, even at that last possible second before they leave me, uh, okay, like we talked in a small group of what is an adjective, but can I actually tell Mrs. Gibson before I leave myself? Um, and then that would just help me kind of have an understanding of, do we need to hit that harder tomorrow or um, can we move on to something new? I think that's wonderful. It also gives them one more opportunity to hear, you know, five more adjectives or depending on how many kids are in your group, it's one more chance. So I think that's absolutely genius. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for being here today. I have absolutely enjoyed talking to you guys. I love, love, love hearing what other teachers are doing in their room, whether they're using my reading intervention or not. I just like to, if, if possible, take a peek inside your room so that we can all gather great ideas. And you guys all have absolutely amazing, amazing ideas. So thank you for being willing to share those with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for everyone sharing ideas and talking. This was really my first experience with the podcast and it was awesome. So thank you. Yes. Thank you, Amanda. Yes. Thanks for being here. And I'll talk with you guys later. In the show notes, I'm also going to share a link for anybody who is listening and thinking, oh my goodness, I need to take a look at this. What the heck are they talking about? I want to share a link so that you can download a free week of that. And then after you get the free link, you'll also have a couple of emails with videos where I just kind of share what I do and what that looks like from grouping students all the way then to what am I doing in my groups as far as what that time looks like. So if anybody's thinking, ah, these ladies have something that I don't and I'm a little bit jealous, then um, just go to the show notes and you can download that so that you can kind of see if this would be a good fit for your classroom. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.